Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, season three, episode one, episode three and episode five, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV, Tony Kyniston, uh, Monday the 13th of July. Are you feeling sad today, Tony? No, not at all. Why? Well, Afterpay has gone up 850% <laughs> since the bottom of the crash. And from what I believe, I've been led to believe reading the Financial Review this morning, anyone who didn't get in on that should be embarrassed and ashamed and feel like a complete fool as an investor. Oh, so we're doing share shaming now, are we? Share shaming. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, share shaming. I was on a, I was on a share forum uh, late last week and somebody said, "Is um, you know, I'm, uh, I feel like a fool and an idiot for not getting in on uh, <laughs> Afterpay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when it was at 55, I thought it was overvalued. And I said, dude, there's, there's nothing wrong with not buying a share if you feel like it's yeah. overvalued. That actually makes you an intelligent investor. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. But, and, I mean, how do you value a company like Afterpay? There's no metric at all to value it. Well, it's, it's really going, just, it's it's really going just up, fear Tony. of missing out. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's going, right. it's, it's going up. It's, it's that's momentum. how you value it. <laughs> yeah, it's momentum, which is which is fine as long as you're a trader and know to get out when the momentum stops. But you know, I was looking at it this morning because you sent through the link. Um, just want to jump into Stock Doctor for Afterpay. So bear with me. Here we go. This is something that Roger Montgomery taught me years ago. But if we open Afterpay and Stock Doctor, and he was using uh, share analysis, but I'll use Stock Doctor because we, we use it a lot. And you go into the cash flows page, statement of cash flows. And so this company is, is losing $342 million a half at its operating cash flow line. So that's the, the money coming in versus the costs of operating the business to get that money. 
so where so if it's losing that much money a half where's it coming from it's either going to be debt or equity if you go down to the financing cash flows tab that that tells us where it's coming from and sure there you've got proceeds from borrowings is quite high there's um 700 million dollars worth of borrowings going on during that time but they've paid back 340 million dollars worth of borrowing so they're paying borrowing and paying back and that that i think is because that's the nature of their business where they borrow money and then lend it to the afterpay customers who then take their four equal payments to to pay it back so that's probably going to be money in money out for this kind of company but look at the look at the proceeds from issues lines so this this half they raised 200 million dollars and they lost 340 million dollars at the operating cash flow line but if you go back and look at it that's that's been their pattern of of business go back to june 17 they raised 36 million dollars and they lost 78 at the operating cash flow line december 17 they raised only 1.6 million and they lost 81 million at the operating cash flow line june 18 they raised 20 million lost 105 then 147 million was raised they lost 157 million then a bit of a catch-up they raised 472 million dollars and they lost 140 then they've raised 200 and they've lost 340 and they've just done another capital raising and people are saying that's why the share price went up what roger used to teach in this situation is guys <laughs> you're, you're the patsies you're they're raising money from shareholders to pay for the losses from from the last six months of operating the business so what's going to happen when they can't raise any more cash yeah well it's, it's what do you what would you call a scheme that borrows from you investors to pay off for the for the past ones <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm not going to go on record calling Afterpay a pyramid scheme, Tony, but... Uh, it's a Ponzi, it's a millennial Ponzi scheme. <laughs> well, look, you know, its defenders would say that's this is the dot-com business model that I remember so clearly from the late Ooh. 90s, uh, you know, it was grow fast that's all that matters grow fast revenue doesn't matter profit well profit doesn't matter revenue matters eventually but um you know it's how many customers you get it's getting your brand installed but like there was a big difference i think in terms of brand development um in for things like okay let's say amazon take that as an example if i established a relationship with amazon as the the place that I went to to buy books and I I set up an account there and then they could email me uh, with, with the latest books and all that kind of stuff. I didn't feel the need to go looking for another website to buy books from. I had a place to buy books. That brand was installed in my uh, head and in my browser and in my, <clears throat> my, my buying relationship. With Afterpay, I don't establish a relationship with Afterpay as such. And, and you know what? I used Afterpay for the first time this morning. Um, I went to buy a gift for Chrissy um, for our wedding anniversary that's coming up next week. And I saw it had an Afterpay. When I went through the, the checkout, there was an Afterpay option. And I, I, I could pay for the thing. But I was like, okay, I haven't used this before. I'll use it to see how easy it is. I keep hearing about it. it's really easy. And it was really easy to set up. But the point is it was in the, it was in the, it was in the cart. 
and it didn't matter to me what it was. It could have been any buy now, pay later service. I have no particular affiliation or relationship with a, uh, with Afterpay. If it got replaced tomorrow with a completely different buy now, pay later service, would I care? Probably not. I have there's there's no reason why you'd have to keep that relationship. Of course, I guess it's their uh, embeddedness with millions of retailers that's probably seen as their competitive advantage moving forwards. How many buy now, pay later services do retailers need to have a relationship with? But uh, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't feel like a, a customer has any particular brand loyalty to Afterpay. And well, they, I think the millennials, well, the research is showing millennials do. Uh, they but have yeah, but I take your point. They could, but that, how, how sticky is that brand loyalty if it gets swapped out for Zip or Sezzle or one of the other competitors? Yeah, or Visa yeah. or MasterCard. Although I've read yeah. lots of arguments that because it is losing money, Visa and MasterCard don't want to be part of it. Right. But because um, yeah, they're businesses, <laughs> they're not Ponzi schemes. <laughs> oh look, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know, man, but um, I just it, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. Look, doesn't excite me. Yeah, look, no, I, I agree. It's a, it's a momentum trade, absolutely, by all means. Uh, but but you know, just look at that uh, the rise since the bottom of uh, the trough in February or March, whenever it was, and yeah. people are saying it's gone up so much since then. But how did you know to buy it then? Uh, you know, there was if you can't value the company, how did you know it was a good price to pay, or not too much, or too little, or whatever? Mm. You didn't. It's just basically guesswork, isn't it? Well, I was talking to my boys about this over the weekend and I said, look, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to people if they got in at the bottom and they're going to yep. sell now yep. and they've made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. But mm -hmm. what I've learned from you over the last couple of years is that investing, uh, if you want to be a long-term successful investor, you need to have a, a system that you abide by uh, every day in your investing. And that, you know, what that system is can differ depending on who you are and mm -hmm. what your risk appetites are and your access to capitalism and all that kind of stuff. But you need a system and you need a, you need a, a goal as well. A methodology and a goal and I think that just trying to jump on the thing that seems yeah. to be growing really quickly into its share price going up and trying to figure out how to get in and out at the right time doesn't seem like a great system to me that uh, I feel like I'd be able to execute well for the next 30 years. Well, momentum trading is a system, and you, you could, do, if you did nothing else but use three-point trend lines, and I know we have lots of questions about how to do that, but if you did nothing else, you could trade any stock or any commodity or any asset and follow that, that system. Um, when, when I first learned about three-point trend lines, they, the people who were teaching me claimed that they were getting 15% per annum returns, which is really healthy, and that's great. Uh, but it's, it, that, that sort of trading pays no attention to the underlying business metrics. And if you do, I think you can improve on that 15%. But yeah, hey, you know, very simple. Uh, uh, Afterpay's share price is going up, so buy it until it, you know, breaks the three-point trend line and comes down. 
it's a it's a valid system and and as you said good luck to people who are doing that but uh there's always going to be these hot stocks in the market which i just can't get my head around uh, as investments because i know someday it's going to come come to a crashing end and you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of people paying thousands of dollars for limited edition sneakers uh, <laughs> or you know you know or uh things that uh, kim kardashian promotes on instagram and all that kind of stuff it's and and that kind of psychology goes all the way back to tulips in in amsterdam in the 1700s with the yeah. great tulip boom when the sea captain walked in off the docks after sailing into Amsterdam and swapped his boat for a tulip. <laughs> that was the that was the high point of the tulip boom, and it all went downhill from there. So I guess it comes down to I don't know what kind of an investor you want to be. Mm, exactly. I mean, it's um, it, it. I don't know this 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 whole stuff. I guess having been around in the late 90s and uh seen all this kind of stuff happen before (laughs) i mean i know this time it's different and we do have near zero interest rates and we do have Mm -hmm. mmt keeping markets afloat longer than they should be afloat (laughs) all the money that's uh, available in our economy that by rights in in previous uh, recessions gone by would not be there Mm -hmm. Uh, it is different, um, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I say challenging my, channeling my best Alan Cola. Yeah. So he's right. It is different. It is di- very different this time. But um, I don't know. It still rhymes anyway. with history, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I agree. I, I don't. I don't lose any sleep at all about missing these kinds of stocks. And as you said, good luck to the people who have gotten in. And there's a real tribal element to stocks like Afterpay and any of the other tech stocks where. Millennials can go, yeah, you're old, you don't get it, you're a value investor, you've had your day, and Buffett's not doing any good, and we're smart. So, well, you know, good luck to you. Um, yeah. But, again, it's not an investment philosophy. Right. Hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> so just to reaffirm for new folks, to, um, you know, our goal is to achieve an average of about 20% year in mm-hmm. year out with the portfolio at fairly low risk and fairly low mm-hmm. effort that's that's the goal of QAV it's not to get on the gravy train and uh, beat the afterpays and all this kind of stuff or equal the afterpays the high tech stock the high growth stocks it's uh, 20% achieve 20% on average year in year out for decades with a mm-hmm. Fairly low risk, fairly conservative, um, explainable, understandable methodology for secure, safe, conservative investing. Yeah, that's that's right. And and I think uh, Marcus Padley is a one of the people who contributes to Livewire, which is an email service I, I get. Uh, he summed it up in his email today, where he said that. Afterpay is the stock for people who missed out on A2 Milk, and A2 Milk is a stock for people who missed out on, you know, Zero, and Zero is a stock for people who missed out on Appen, and it just goes on and on and on. So it's there's always going to be the next hot stock that comes along, and people will jump on it. And if you can't understand why, then don't get in. Right. Okay. Well, uh, let's um, have a look at your journal entries over the last week, Tony. Mm-hmm. So bring up. 
the blog. The eighth, Beach Energy. Uh, you said you finished buying Beach Energy and you started buying South 32. Yeah. I think we've talked about South 32 already recently. Is that right? I don't think so, but we may have. Well, um, remind me who South 32 are again. Yep. Yeah, so they're a spin out of from BHP. Right? Yeah, that's right. They spun out of BHP. It used to be called Bad BHP. So BHP wanted to concentrate on iron ore and uh, some of its other core businesses, maybe coal, I can't recall now, but anyway, iron ore. Uh, and so they took out, uh, you know, BHP had become a very big sprawling mining company. So they took out their smaller mines like bauxite and aluminium, et cetera, et cetera, uh, manganese, nickel, silver, lead, zinc, and put them into a another company called South32 and floated that on the stock market and BHP uh, shareholders got uh, some of their shares converted into South32 shares. Uh, the thing I like about South32 at the moment is that it's uh, it's a nickel miner and I was playing around with the Index Mundi commodities graphs on the weekend and uh, from memory, gold, uh, gold and iron ore are both in very strong up phases still. And uh, nickel is just look, looking like it's turning uh, uh, from a, a down phase into an up phase using three-point trend lines. So I, I suspect that we're going to start seeing more companies with nickel in their portfolio or nickel miners start to appear on our radar screen going forward. And South32 has some nickel exposure, so that might be one reason why it's turning, starting to turn up. Okay. Hmm. And what about the fact that their uh, company logo was uh, stolen from a Paul McCartney album a couple of years ago? <laughs> Looks like it, doesn't it? You know that Paul McCartney album, New? Is it now or New? New. Yeah. New, yeah. Yeah. They've yeah. got the same, maybe they maybe they both are the same graphic designer <laughs> yeah. to design the logo. <laughs> Well, that, uh, yeah, the, the company I, just rearranges the three the three uh, yeah. vertical lines. I don't know how you get. I mean, I can see how you get new out of that, but I can't see how you yeah. get South Thirty Two out of no. that. But, uh, <laughs> or maybe Paul McCartney's a big holder in South Thirty Two. You never know. It could right, be. Maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> and why is why is nickel a big deal right now? Uh, don't know. I mean, it is it is an input into electric vehicles and electric batteries, so that's always mm. been one of the drivers for nickel. But I don't know why it's sort of turning around now. Uh, yeah, couldn't say. Sorry. So I'm looking at their th chart. Uh, mm -hmm. What was that? A three ninety two in September eighteen, and then three ninety one in February nineteen. I'm guessing you're probably starting there with your three point trend line. I am, yeah. So this is a, a case where we, we could be very conservative and draw the, the line across the two tops and then we're, we're not buying until it gets back to 390 and I guess that's completely valid for, for people who want to be that conservative. But but if we start at 391 and, and go to the right from there, yeah, we're getting a buy price which has just broken through now. Going through December 19, $2.70? Let me have a look. Yeah, I, I actually I think I used the next one, January next 2020 one. at 264 yeah. So... Yeah. Like a dollar ninety or something like that would have broken through. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Very good. So, what was next um, on the eighth of July? No, that was the eighth of July. On the ninth of July, you said uh, we picked up a bunch of checklists. Uh, the first of many checklist errors. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
This is uh, this is where I have to come come crawling to our listeners to say sorry. I made some errors in the checklist. <laughs> no, not at all. But it, it, one of the things that I um, have uh, decided to do this week is to try and hire someone to uh, like an Excel guru to provide another set of eyes because well, you're pretty good with Excel. You're way better than I am. I'm not the right guy to fact check your Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, I need someone I, uh, who can have a look at it before I put it out in public. So I will do that this week. And, and I've had a couple of our listeners who are Excel gurus offer to uh, help out um, in that oh, regard as well. So thank you yeah. to those people. Um, well, oh, maybe it's great that, that our listeners have picked up these errors too. They're our beta yeah. testers, really, aren't they? Which is fantastic. Yeah, eagle eyes. So thank you to everyone who's uh, been picking up the errors. But we you know, obviously we don't want you to have to do that. No. So <laughs> we will um, uh, try and put some error checking into the process before it goes public. Um, over and above that, D2 zero uh, or d2o i think duxton water you said that went above its buy price let's have a look at it, duxton it water did. let's just make sure it hasn't dropped back down again and this was the one that's one of the listeners asked us why we were interested in the company that had a financial distress health rating in stock doctor aha uh-huh, yes and we said well sometimes that's yeah, a good buy that's right we yeah. uh, we we're looking for aggression to the mean and hopefully they'll uh the management will will improve its finances. Yeah. So this one, three-point byline, I guess, is pretty straightforward. So, yeah, just uh, looks like it's just on it still now. Yeah, it was hovering around a couple of... It went through and, and back a couple of times last week. Right. Well, uh, it's... Smallish, um, com- smallish company, though, so not for everyone to buy into. Well, while we're on this, you said you added it to the watch list as a buy. Mm-hmm. I had a, I, I've got a question later on, but we might as well just uh, touch on it now. This is from Elmar, and uh, he said um, he's asking a question about how to use the watch list. So the what he says the watch list. Do we just check that they remain in the watch list? Do we watch them regardless until they pass their three point trend line buy line and then buy them? Do we check each time to make sure they're still in the watch list then to see if they pass the three PTL buy line? Explain to us again, Tony, because I I couldn't answer this um, mm-hmm. exactly. How do you use the watch list? Yeah, so the watch list, it's a little bit different to how Alma talked about how he constructed it. But what what I do is every time I do a stock doctor filter download into my master spreadsheet, uh, you know, I do the usual sort on price to cash flow less than seven. That gives me a, a starting list of companies to look at. And then I check for their three-point trend lines there. So a lot of the companies will already have been checked from, from past downloads. Um, but what we're looking at is the, I think it's almost the last column on the right or second last column on the right. Let's have a look. I'll just call it up. Column CP. So second last column on the right has, is titled sentiment confirmed. And what I'll do if I just have done the recent download there is I'll just scroll down there and see if there is any, if there are any entries that have a zero in there. So they haven't got a sentiment confirmed. And what that means is that uh, I haven't checked out their three-point trend line and entered them into the spreadsheet as being, yes, they're in a three-point uptrend or no, they're not. And uh, over time, you'll basically work through this whole list and, and update it. 
and we use the manually entered scores tab to do that. So uh, you can see the sentiment confirmed column is the first one in manually entered scores and I, I'll put a yes or no in there and that will uh, link back into the first spreadsheet. And then um, over, over time, like uh, as I'm going through and, and looking at things like the financial review 52-week high uh, uh, tables, I might see that something is, is making a new high. I'll, I'll go back and just check that one for a three-point trend line because maybe what was a, uh, a stock that was in a, uh, a downtrend has, has turned around into an uptrend. Um, that's one way of, of doing that. Or from time to time, I might just go through and, and randomly look at some. But what I'll, what I'll definitely do is once I, once I copy the, the, those stocks from the QAV download tab into the watchlist tab and then do our sort, uh, which basically looks for companies that um, have a, a uh, don't have a qualified audit and have a QAV score above 0.1. I've got a, a manageable list then to work with. There's about uh, or no more than that's probably about 40 stocks in that list, and I only for, for myself I'm only buying the stocks that have a, a large average daily traded list, so I can go through there. Uh, fairly easily and look at those and then com just confirm their sentiment again so you might I might only be looking at um, 15 to 20 companies that do that and just have a quick check to see if nothing's changed if you do if you're using the whole list then definitely before you'd buy a stock I'd go back and check its three-point trend line and make sure it hasn't changed since the last time I checked it but but usually they don't so that's the process so the watch list, so the watch list um, is something that you will refer to when you're ready to make a purchase, and you Correct. won't. That's my buy list. Yeah, but you won't uh, rerun the like do a, a new stock doctor download on the day and rerun everything on the day. You'll just go to the watch list. If if yeah, what I what I do is if I'm. Like in that journal last week, I said I was finished buying Beach and was going to start buying South. So once I stopped mm. buying Beach, then I reran the stock filter download to make sure that South 32 was still the next item in my buy list. So what's the point of keeping a watch list if you're going to do a new download and rerun everything every time? Well, it's, it's basically the output of that download process. Right. So it's not... I don't so so yeah okay I think we've had this conversation before. Would you prefer before. to call the buy list maybe? <laughs> yes. Right. See a, a watch list tends to suggest that we're sitting and watching, but you you're not what this isn't something that uh, is uh, well it's something that is relatively time sensitive right? Yeah. It, it, you're not sitting and watching these things. It doesn't have any longevity to it. The watch list it uh, it's an output. A buy list output, not a watch list as such, I think. I think yeah, that's, that's where I and others get confused. Okay. I've always called it the watch list because it's the, you know, the sort of, in this case, it's about 30 or 40 stocks that I'm focused on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a list of stocks I'm prepared to buy next. Right. But when you are actually ready to buy, you're going to redo that. You're going to generate a new yeah. one. Yes, if I'm buying a new company, that's right. But look, it doesn't change that often. I mean, it's it's oftentimes I just re reconfirmed that I'm buying South Thirty Two next or whatever the share is next. Right. Hmm. So you would um, the the process is you would 
open up your watch list, look at it, see who's next, who's got the, the highest QAV score, um, mm-hmm. but then you would rerun it. You'd do a new yeah, download so, of so, the data? Yeah, so the process that I do is I'll... What I'll do is I look at this list and I count up how many uh, companies have are big enough for me to buy. Yeah. And I'll see how many companies I already own because I still want to have a, a portfolio of around 20 stocks. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, um, I'll, you know, work out my position size for those 20 stocks. And if there's, if I haven't, if I don't already own or haven't been buying the next stock on the list, I'll move down to that and uh, I'll buy that. So, for example, I was buying Beach Petroleum, which is kind of getting down the list. It's got a QAV score of 0.18. Finished buying that. So then next stock on the list was the Reject Shop, which is a little bit too small for me. And then, then Laneway Resources, which is very small. And then Sigma, which is a bit too small for me. Then I get down to Fortescue, which I already own. So at this stage, I'm not buying any more Fortescue. And the next one down that's large enough is South32. So that's how can I, I South 32. Can I encourage you to go and spend a few million dollars on the reject shop, uh, Tony? It's uh... <laughs> Well, I hope someone does because then its average transaction value might get big enough for me to buy some. <laughs> uh, okay, so but, uh, like in between, like so week to week, the only thing that's... Re- uh, unless you're sort of straddling reporting season uh mm-hmm. nothing's really going to change except the share price correct yep right yeah. so all you would need to do is plug in the latest price into your uh download data most recent download data and just uh, see where it comes up i do do that sometimes but yeah if i'm going to buy a new company I'll, I'll do the whole process through just to see if the rankings have changed or if anything else has happened right and I'll check sentiment again too. Right. Okay. So you have to, yeah, okay, that's a good point. So you, you have to do the whole thing. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to nominate that we change it to buy list in sure. terms of okay. our, I, I think it might cause slightly less uh, confusion for me and some others like Elmar. Okay. okay. Done. Changed. <laughs> buy list. There you go. Good question, Elmar. Thank you for that. All right. Let's get back to the journal. Duck. And water we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the dogs of the Dow. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you wanna, you're want to, trying to figure out what's going on, 
go back and listen to season three, episodes one, three, and five, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>